Hello everybody and welcome to the Tuesday Toolbox meeting of adult children of alcoholics in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. My name is Anne. I'm a Tuesday Toolbox member and an adult child. We're recording our speakers every week because we're hoping others will benefit from hearing these stories from our members. We'd love to hear your comments and questions. Our email address is TuesdayToolboxACA at gmail.com. Adult Children of Alcoholics is a 12-step program of recovery for people who grew up in an alcoholic or otherwise dysfunctional home. If you'd like to find a meeting to attend, go to adultchildren.org and click on Meetings. This week we're hearing from Joe, who spoke about their experience with prayer. Please enjoy. night that I would be, which feels like just the right amount of time <laughs> to know. Um, and I'm going to be sharing on, um, I don't want to say my favorite tool, but it's definitely the tool that I use the most frequently and that has changed my life the most, um, and that's prayer. Um, and I will start with uh, reading a passage from the Big Red Book. This is on page... 273, and uh, it's in the section about step 11. Um, In ACA, we examine our prayer life and our thought life. Our thought life is the place in our head once dominated with all the negative and minimizing messages from our childhood. This thought life was invisible to others, yet it was real to us because it contained the experiences and beliefs that drove our compulsions and unhealthy dependence. We became addicted to excitement or to our thoughts. While we appeared orderly in the public eye before arriving in ACA, we always had a script in our minds. No one could see or hear the script, but we could hear it and we acted on it. We developed odd obsessions and compulsive behaviors based on this script or thought life. We sometimes felt powerless to change, but now believe we have found a power to address our destructive thinking. With the help of a higher power, we work at freeing ourselves from obsessive and compulsive behaviors. The preceding steps have gone far to modifying our thought life. We have changed the negative messages and we are changing our behaviors slowly and gradually. Prayer and meditation will take us further. We pray to put into action the principles and concepts we are finding in ACA. We pray for strength and power to work the ACA program and to stay focused. We pray to God to enter our thought life and take out what blocks us from accepting ourselves. We pray to connect with our inner child. While there are few rules on prayer, many ACAs believe prayer is reserved for the end of the day and usually practiced in the home or at a religious facility. We suggest that prayer can be done almost anywhere and at any time. We are not confined to praying in one location or at any particular time. Like meditation, prayer has been used through the ages for worship, guidance, intervention, salvation, and to find comfort from aloneness. There is no standard length for a prayer, but some of the most powerful prayers have the fewest words. The serenity prayer comes to mind and represents a concentrated measure of serenity, humility, courage, wisdom, and spirituality in 25 words. It is a prayer that has anchored 12-step meetings and the development of 12-step fellowships for decades across the world. It is a proven prayer which causes anyone hearing it to pause. It has that kind of power. Um, 
So that passage really resonates for me on so many levels, but I think the first part about our thought life um, was really clarifying um, because I think I didn't grow up with explicit religion or a formal or even informal prayer practice. And so it felt like this really esoteric thing. Um, and this passage helps me understand prayer as a way to disrupt these patterns and these cycles that we can get caught in. And it gives us another option. Um, and I also like that it talks about the accessibility, right? that it can happen at any time, anywhere, and it's not this like precious thing reserved for sacred spaces. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about my upbringing because I think um, part of that thought pattern and, and the obsessive thoughts comes from a need for control. Um, and growing up in a dysfunctional home, I think a lot of us reach for control. And in my experience, that was definitely <laughs> and continues to be one of the hardest things to turn over. Um, so yeah, I grew up in a home where um, chaos and dysfunction were just like the air that we breathed. And I didn't grow up with alcoholism, but um, my parents were very much in a toxic relationship with each other, and that created a culture of verbal abuse, constant yelling, um, violence, whether it be with words or actions. Um, and I have two older brothers, and growing up in that, I think we just thought that that was the way that you know we related to family. And I remember going to other kids' houses growing up and just being like, well, when does everyone start yelling? And like stuff each other. Um, and I think I even asked a friend, and she was like, wait, what? And I was like, hmm. Um, so, yeah, the house was really, uh, felt really unsafe and really chaotic, and it was just like constantly putting out fires. And we literally did have a fire, like a devastating fire, and had to leave our home when I was six. And that, I think, kind of escalated the level of dysfunction infinitely. And after that, um, my oldest brother developed rage issues and had a really out of control temper. And so there was a lot of violence coming from him and breaking of things, windows, doors, chairs, um, dishware. And my other brother developed really extreme OCD, hand washing, different compulsions. And I developed an eating disorder starting from when I was like six or seven, like right after the fire. So seeing kind of the direct links for control um, and it was a really successful way for me to feel in control and to regulate my nervous system in a space that was so constantly dysregulated. Um, but as I grew up, obviously it's, it's not a sustainable tool for coping and I was in and out of treatment and I went into recovery for my eating disorder, but I wasn't really given any tools to manage the ongoing dysfunction that was happening in my family. And so I turned to things like self-harm and other compulsive behaviors, and slowly over time, some of the more extreme behaviors went away as I you know, went to college and like started my adult life, but I was still living like steeped in compulsion, and it was like everything that I did suddenly became a compulsive behavior, whether it was like exercising or a morning ritual or like you know journaling, like all of it became punitive and controlled and obsessive. Um, and 
I think because some of the more extreme behaviors died down, I was really able to maintain a state of denial about my upbringing and about my own compulsive behaviors because I think like many ACAs from the outside, my life seemed really manageable and functional, even though inside I was being tormented by my thoughts constantly. Um, and yeah, there's, um, I just started my ninth step in the yellow book and there's a section where it talks about how uh, as ACAs, we do the spiritual equivalent of slamming our hand in a car door over and over and feeling helpless and like there's not another way to live. Mm -hmm. And it like gave me chills because I was like, that is what it is. That's the feeling. And I think what prayer is, is it's like, it's a way of asking your higher power for another way to live. Even if you're still doing the behavior, like you're still slamming your hands, you can ask your higher power for another way to live and, and turn it over. Um, and I think something that I've had to learn in this program is that prayer is not getting what you want. It's not like asserting your self-will. It's actually radically turning control over to a power greater than yourself. Um, I, like I said, I didn't have like a practice of prayer before ACA, but, um, I went to my first ACA meeting in January of 2020, and the person who brought me was, um, definitely has a, a practice of praying. And so even before I was comfortable with it, when I would ask their opinion on things, they were like, maybe you should take that to your prayer closet. And I was like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, uh, it got in there. I was like, interesting, like I'm seeing this thing in this program and this outlet working for you to shift your perspective and like, I want some of that, you know? And later that spring, I didn't start going to ACA right away, but, um, you know, something shifted. And when the pandemic started, I started a new relationship for the first time in a long time. And I think being alone was able to start coming into my identity as a trans person and was coming into a greater relationship with like my true self. Um, and that was really threatening for a lot of the control behaviors that I developed. And so they got way louder, like the volume mm -hmm. just turned all the way up. And suddenly this person that I was seeing who I was falling for was triggering me constantly. And I was having obsessive thoughts about them. They were triggering my eating disorder. It was like total mayhem and I, I felt powerless. And so I remember going to Prospect Park and like praying and I, I this is not something I do normally, um, but I was just, I had gotten to that point. And I remember um, asking God to free me from these compulsive thoughts and just saying over and over, like, I want to be free, you know? And I really felt that fine, thank you. Um, and freedom did not happen right away. It got way worse. Um, the triggers got way worse. The behaviors got worse. My relationship fell apart, essentially. I started having heart palpitations. Like, I really hit a bottom. And I started attending ACA probably about a year ago. Um, and so, yeah, I think, when I think back on that, I'm like, right, I didn't get freedom in that moment, but what happened was I was brought into this program that is helping me do that deeper work to have that longer term, more sustainable sense of freedom. Um, and it doesn't look like a one-to-one -one correlation of like you ask and you receive, it's like there's a process. And um, 
Yeah. So I feel really grateful to have come into this program and to have found this tool, and I use it constantly. Um, and as someone with kind of OCD and obsessive compulsive behaviors and thoughts, it's such a helpful intervention. Um, so here's some of the ways I use prayer. The main and like most consistent way, I wouldn't say the main, but the most consistent way is that I, I do morning pages every day and I write three pages first thing when I wake up. And at some point I just started doing it where like things would come up, anxieties would come up, fears, things I felt powerless over. And so I just started writing a prayer at the end. And it's usually really simple. Sometimes it's the serenity prayer. Um, but it'll just be like, I, I wrote some examples like, God, help me welcome any discomfort today and remain curious about what it has to show me. God, help me accept this moment of ease. Help me to allow in joy, pleasure, and curiosity. Um, like, whatever it might be. Um, one of my favorite prayers, actually, that came up in a book that I read for the sixth and seventh step called Drop the Rock. It's a great book. But um, was, God, help me let go of my need to be afraid and replace it with a need to be at peace. And I use that one all the time for all different things when I find myself in fear. Um, so that's one way that I use it that's like a little more formal. But um, yeah, now when I have a decision to make, I still call that program friend and I'll be like, what should I do? And they're like, take it to the prayer closet. <laughs> uh, but I really do, actually. And it helps me because I, with the OCD mind, like if I have two options, it, it can get really... Um, intense trying to figure out which is the better one and what's going to serve me and I can get stuck there for days at a time and prayer helps me to uh, ask for guidance and then turn it over and like go to sleep and usually I have clarity the next day about what the decision what I want to do um, and usually it becomes very clear so that's another way and then if I'm going to have a hard conversation with someone um, as an ACA that can be extremely triggering and bring up a lot of fear. And so I ask God to send me the right thought, word, or action um, and turn my will over and, you know, I'll pray to, like, speak from the heart and to not speak from a triggered or activated place and to be held in that space so that I don't speak in a way that I regret later. Um, and sometimes, like, I had one conversation where the person was coming to meet me and I was so, feeling so anxious and I just closed my eyes and said the ACA serenity prayer just over and over until they showed up and it really helped calm me down. Um, that one is, I mean, it's powerful, like it said in the reading. Um, yeah, when I feel stuck or powerless over something, when something comes up and I feel that kind of like child feeling and my inner kid is scared, I will just um, pray about it. And... It helps me, um, someone was recently talking one minute, thank you, about how like when we are living in our thoughts, it's like we have a bunch of puzzle pieces and we're moving the same puzzle pieces around trying to find a new answer. And I feel like prayer is, it's like, it's like throwing the puzzle pieces away and being like, well, I don't know, like it could be any, like it's a totally like something we can't even imagine potentially. Um, and I use it as a way to disrupt obsessive thoughts. When I can have the presence of mind to notice that it's happening, uh, I can use prayer to kind of, yeah, disrupt that. And it's really, it's really changed my life and the way that I relate to other people, the way that I speak, um, and just the way that I exist in the world and in my life and in my mind. Um, 
And it's still obviously like there's so much, and that's why I, pray, I mean I prayed like six times today because I was sharing and I was stressed. <laughs> and um, yeah, but that's time. So I'll just wrap up and say that I'm really grateful um, to be able to share, and I'm excited to hear what everyone else has to share. So thank you. Thank you.